We've been uh, walking through what makes us thrive, the commitments that make us thrive, beginning with worship and, and talking about winsome orthodoxy. That is, we, we know what we believe and we're living it out in a way that connects with the people around us and with the world in a relevant way. So worship, winsome orthodoxy. We've talked about call, that, that we're each called to follow Jesus and follow him all the way into places of service, which he ordained in advance for us to do. Uniquely called, each one of us, gifts for the common good. We've also talked about the ways that we're called into community, like I mentioned earlier, and, and how, how groups are important in the church, that to connect with a few people, locking arms in a way that, that, that can help us to, to, to take grace in places where it's never been before. This morning, we're going to talk about how to connect with God through prayer. You all know the, the, the board game Mad Gab, don't you? Now, the, the, let me explain it to you. Here's how it works. Now, you, you take a card, and, and you know, you're in somebody's living room, and, and you, you take your card here, and you're reading words, and those words actually mean something else, and you're supposed to figure it out. So here, here's an example. So you put, pick up a card, and you see these four words. Ask, rude, arrive, her. Now, see, I, I've... I've been thinking about this, so I think you already get it, but you don't get it, do you? So you have to say it again. And sometimes if you say it in a French accent, then you can really get ask rule to arrive her. Did you get it? Ask rule to arrive her. A screwdriver. All right, so that's mad gab. Ask rude arrive. See the French accent helps us? Ask rude arrive her. A screwdriver. I'm about to read to you. From Matthew 6, which of course is the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he, he gives us words to pray. And I wonder if, if for you, those words may not quite gel. They may not quite connect you to God the way that they're intended to. You're saying the words, ask, rude, arrive, her, and you're thinking, there must be something more that I'm missing. There must be some connection that I'm supposed to make as I'm, I'm saying these words. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, and maybe it's rote for you. And when you're, you're playing the, the, the Mad Gab, Gab game, it's really funny watching people because, because you're on the other side and you know what, and everybody else knows what the word is, right? They, they know what you're trying to say because it's on the back. And you're saying it but you're not getting it. And they're, they're seeing screwdriver on the back, and you're going, ask screwed arrive her. And it's very funny for the people on that side of the car. But on this side of the car, it can be very frustrating. I wonder if you feel frustrated in prayer sometimes. You're saying the words, but you're not quite making the connection. Let's consider how to make the connection this morning. From the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6. Starting with verse, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. That's, that's, that's a weighty word, and we're going to dig into that in a minute. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. It's a hard word to swallow. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners 
that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, Jesus is being funny here. That's, that's a good sense of humor. They received their reward. That's a joke, y'all. That's hysterical. Think about that. They've gotten their reward. That was it. Congratulations. We're all very proud of you for praying out loud and being noticed. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Now, that's an inner room. And it went in a storage closet. And the, in that day and age, there were storage closets in the center that were away, and, and it was a cooler place. Go into that place no one else goes into. Shut the door and pray to your heavenly Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. Now, this is the second thing. Do not, do, do not be like the hypocrites to be seen, and do not heap up empty phrases as the pagans do or the Gentiles do, for they think... They will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespass, you your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Ooh, that's, that's tough, isn't it? Let's figure that out. If we're going to connect with God through these words and not just say them, with meaning escaping us on the other side of the card, we have to know who we're praying to. That's the first thing. We have to know who we're praying to, and we need to know what we're praying. That's the sermon. So first, who are we praying to? How, how do we know who, who we're praying to? All right? So, so do you know who you're praying to when you're praying? Do you know the real who? Are you praying to, to, to God or some fig newton of your imagination? All right? I'm just seeing if you're awake. You're not awake. Okay, that's fine. There was one person over here. You need to know who you're praying to. I remember when I, I was growing up. So, so this is about, I'm, I'm going to illustrate what it means to approach God and not some other figment of your imagination. God himself in prayer, to know who you're praying to. Let me illustrate. When I was growing up, if I maybe forgot a table manner, I mean, that happened every now and then. My mom or my dad would say, I hope you don't do that when you're invited to the state dinner at the White House. And I remember that was a great image for me because I, I remember thinking, gosh, what, what would I, yeah, how would I behave in the state room of the White House at a state dinner? Well, we're, we're Americans, and so we don't bow and scrape to anybody. But if you were in England and you wanted to approach a, a monarch, not just the president, but a monarch, there's a certain protocol, right? At 20 feet, you have to, you have to bow. And then you have to walk briskly up, and then you, you, you need to bow again. And in some, some countries, some kingdoms, they take kingship very seriously, and, and, and you may even have to, to kneel. But it's in our constitution. We're, we're created equal. We don't, we don't bow to the president. He's a, he's a citizen, just like us. When you approach God in prayer, I think sometimes what's happening is we forget who he is. 
And so what's happening here is Jesus is describing a hypocrite who's saying it on the outside, but he isn't experiencing it on the inside. He doesn't really know what he's praying because he doesn't know who he's praying to because the gateway to connection with God is grace. Let me say it again. The gateway to connection with God in prayer, the gateway is grace. The Jews knew that when they were uh, when, when they were released from slavery in Egypt and they were le- released in freedom in the wilderness and when they remembered, when they remembered that God gracefully saved them from the, the tyranny for himself, they prayed with, with fervor or as the Puritans say, unction. They prayed with passion. But they forgot, and then they just prayed mad gab words. They prayed like hypocrites who weren't really connected. They weren't praying to God. You see, here's what it comes down to. If, If you see yourself as a little sinner, then you'll see you'll see God as a little savior. But if you recognize the depth and need of, of grace in the whole of your life, the condition that you're, you're a big sinner, you will begin to see and experience and connect with God as a big Savior. At one time, the Jews understood, and there was passion. Within the Psalms, you can see David praying. He understood himself, Psalm 51. He understood, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. May the bones you have broken rejoice. Now, that's a prayer. He was entering the gateway because he knew how to approach his sovereign. He approached him through the gateway of grace. If we approach him in any other way, we're hypocrites. And we will have a disconnect in our prayer life. We'll be praying empty words, empty words. And so the first key to connecting with God is, of course, approach him through the gateway of grace. Know who you're praying to. You understand who he is by understanding that he's a God of grace. You understand who he is by understanding Jesus. That's why Jesus said, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in the person of Christ. Fully man, and yet fully God, because God was expressing himself. He was speaking to us. He was saying, this is who I am. I don't want you to be confused about what I'm like as your God. I am grace, graceful. Which means he was equal to our deepest need. And it means we're loved fully, thoroughly transformingly loved. So that's who we need to be praying to when when you make that connection. Your need, his supply, that's the gateway to connect with God in prayer. Second, we we need to know what we're praying. We need to know what we're praying. And I want to illustrate for you this way. You, you, You have to say what you mean and you have to mean what you say. Okay, you got it? You have to say what you mean. And you have to mean what you say. 
First, say what you mean. In other words, you pray what's in you and not what's supposed to be in you. You pray what's really there because he knows it already. And don't pretend to pray something that's not there because you should. I should feel this way. Well, you don't. Start where you are. You see, time and time again, David prays. And, and he's praying things that sometimes are confusing. You think that's in the Bible? Are we supposed to think that way about his enemy? He's praying what's in him. God, vanquish my opponent. He's praying. But more often than not, when he's praying what's really in him, God is finding him there. And you can see by the end of the psalm, he's turning, he's softened, he's responsive to the will of God. Pray what's in you, not what's supposed to be in you. Think of it this way. Think of it in terms of relationships that you have with other people. It, it amazes me when I allow tension to stay between me and another person. I know that I have to speak into that. I know I've got to clear it up. I know I have to address it. It's, it's, it's a little speck in the gears of our relationship, and so often I leave it there. Why? Because I'm a wimp. That's why. And so are you. And so, and I, and I watch this sometimes, and I can pick up on it sometimes. There's tension in the room. There's tension between two people. And instead of saying what's really in us, we don't resolve those, those points of tension. We leave them there. And this is what happens. We begin to paint a different picture of who that person is, don't we? You begin to create a false narrative about that person. And then, you know, the psychologists call it confirmation bias. They do something, and we read it through that lens. And we think we know what's in their heart. We think we know what their motives are. And we begin to create this entire story about who that person is because we haven't simply dealt with what's really in us, what's really there. Some of you are angry with God this morning. Some of you distrust who he is and what he's doing. You, you can't really trust him to come through for you. Because you created a picture of who he is, and it's, and it's a false narrative about who he is. Because you haven't simply prayed what's in you. You've, you've been like the pagans, or, or they, they, they call them sort of babblers, right? It kind of goes back to the Tower of Babel. You know, just, they're, they're very religious. Don't, don't think they're not. The Gentiles, the pagans, in this case, the word Gentiles being used in a, in a sense to talk about the, the, the religiosity of the day, the, 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 the way that, that they had so many different idols, as Paul talks about in Acts 17. They prayed and they thought by, by layering up their words that somehow that, that would help them connect with God. See, when you paint that false narrative about another person, Let's just say it's a spouse or a family member or, or a colleague, all right? It's going to build up. That tension is going to build up. It's going to come out, and it's probably not going to come out in the way that you want it to, right? Something's going to be a trigger point, and guess what you're going to do? All of those things that have been bothering you, layered up, they're all going to come out in a multitude of words, and they're going to find out what they did here, there, and the other time, and uh, by the way, six months ago when you did that, and also uh, back to the beginning of our marriage when you didn't, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, you've got all of these words, and you think that somehow that's going to connect you again? Now, see, this is exactly what 
the kind of thing that, 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 that Jesus is, is mocking in a way. He's saying that's ridiculous. And so we need to pray what's in us. We need to know, right? We need to say what's in us. Say what you mean. And second of all, we need to, we need to mean what we say. We need to mean what we say. All right, say what we mean. Mean what we say. Know who you're praying to. Say what you mean. Say what's in you. And mean what you say. How many of you are watching the Olympics? I, 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 I really enjoy it myself. I, I love watching and thinking. This is what I think about. I think about the hours that we don't see. And, and, and the, the, the days, the early morning of practice, practice, practice. Now imagine someone going up to one of those coaches and saying, you know what, I want to be, be the world's greatest downhill skier. I've got, you know, I've, been wor- I, I'm, I'm, I've got the talent. And, and the coach says, do you really know what you're asking? Do you really mean it? Do you really mean it? Yes, I really mean it. I really mean it. I want to be the world's greatest downhill skier. Okay. Meet me at 4 a.m. on the top of the slopes tomorrow and the next day for the rest of your life. Right? <laughs> okay. For the next, you know, four, three and a half years, meet me, meet me there. It, it's, it's confusing when we look at the passage that says, forgive us as we forgive others. And then it goes on and it gives a little bit of commentary because if you're not forgiving others, then your, your, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. It almost seems as if, if what Jesus is saying is, I'm watching and if you forgive, then, then I'm going to forgive you. But that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. He's saying, that, that, do you really mean it? Do you know what you're asking of me. Go try to forgive your brother, your sister, your spouse. Go try to forgive your colleague. Then you will know what you're really asking. And do that every day. And so what he's saying is, for, we're praying, forgive us as we forgive. Because it, it, it's, it's only on the lips of a forgiver that we truly understand, that the, the person who understands what they're asking from God. Now, l- let me see if I can, I can illustrate this one for you because this is, a, this is such a big, big deal. Uh, Corey Ten Boom in um, The Hiding Place. Uh, if you don't know the story, encapsulation of it is this. She and her sister, Corey Ten Boom, during World War II, uh, they were Christians, but they, they were hiding Jews from the Nazis. And they were caught, and they were, they were put I- into Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp for doing this. And there are all kinds of different stories about this, but what I want to tell you is a story of, from 1972 when Corrie Ten Boom, years later after she was released, her sister died in that prison. And she is... She's in a place like this, and she's talking about forgiveness. And she's saying, when, when, when God forgives you, he casts those sins into the deepest part of the ocean. And she closes in prayer, and here comes a man up to her. 
and she recognizes him. He's one of the guards. He's even wearing the same belt. She recognized him. He did not recognize her. He didn't know her story. Didn't know that she was in Ravensbrück. The guard comes up to her and he puts out his hand and he says, Fräulein, it's so good to know that God forgives us to the point where he casts them into the deepest ocean. But I would like to hear it from you. Will you forgive me? There she is, confronted with one of the, the most abusive people in, in, in human history. And she is having to be confronted with whether or not she understands what it means to be forgiven. Because in that moment, she, she had to do it. She, 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 she had to forgive him so that she would understand what is she asking of God. And she says, she says she knew she had to do it. So she reached out her hand and she said, I do forgive you with all my heart. And she said that at that moment, the ice in her veins turned warm. And she understood more of what it meant for God to forgive her than she ever had. But the story doesn't end there. Some years later, her friends, some close friends, betrayed her. And she found it a lot harder for, to forgive them. So much so that, that, that she saved the letters that, that were evidence of their betrayal for years. And at one point, she was talking to a Lutheran pastor who was in her home, and, and she was saying how she had had that experience and how she had forgiven them. And, and one of them came to the door and, and, and said hello, and, and she said to him that that was one of the friends that, for, that, that I've, I've been forgiving over these past years. And, and she goes to the drawer, and she pulls out, and she says, here, let me show you one of the letters that, um, and he said, oh, now you were talking at one point about the sins being cast to the deepest part of the ocean, and yet you're holding on to these letters. And she realized that the level of grace that she had experienced in her life was too shallow. She realized that in order to understand what it meant for us to betray a friend, what it means to be betrayed by a friend and to forgive them, is to begin to understand what we're really asking of God when we say, forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. Because as we forgive our debtors, guess what? We begin to experience the grace. That's how it works. It's why, why Jesus says that the, the, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see the connection between the first tablet and the second tablet. It's purposeful. God puts these together on purpose because he is redeeming us from the inside out for relationships to be reconciled. Not just to play games like the hypocrites and say, we know what to pray. And yes, we have a relationship with God. He's saying, be real and understand what you're praying. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Mean what you say. 
like that Olympian who doesn't just say, Lord, <laughs> I want to be the greatest skier, but says to the coach, I'll be there 4 a.m. tomorrow. As we forgive our debtors, it's like that seed of grace, and you put your hand to the till, and you begin to sow the soil, to make it fertile and ready for the grace of God to grow. That's how you connect with God, through the gateway of grace, saying what you mean, what's really in you, not what should be there, but what's really there, and taking it into the relationships around you as he helps you experience that grace on a deeper level, truly, truly, sincerely, genuinely. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for that grace. The mystery of it, the way that's such a great provision for us equal to our need. When we feel a sense of conviction, Lord, that we don't really mean what we say. And so this morning, I pray that you'd bring to our mind's eye those people, or perhaps just that one, that undeserving one, a person who needs an unconditional response from us, not waiting for them, but taking initiative. Lord, would you, would you bring a movement of your spirit within this congregation to Bind up any broken hearts through their trusting initiative of forgiving the person who has wronged them. We thank you, Lord, that you've instructed us to call you Father. And as a Father, you extend love but also discipline. And so right into the very prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, you have instructed us as a father, a good, good father. Who loves us, but also calls us to a place of truth that we may genuinely connect with you. Lord, hear us as we close out our time to seal this time singing together in Jesus' name.